Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar, and I'm here today with Freedom Model authors Mark Sheeran and Stephen Slate. We offer two ways to learn the Freedom Model in private one-on-one classes. That is at our beautiful private St. Jude retreat, or at home via video conference in our Freedom Model private instruction program. You can get information about our retreat at SoberForever.net and about the Freedom Model private instruction at home program at TheFreedomModel.org. Also at TheFreedomModel.org, you'll find a myriad of resources and information available to you, including videos, podcasts, and our free eBooks. We have digital editions of our books, The Freedom Model for Addiction and The Freedom Model for the Family, available for purchase on that site as well, or you can get a paperback version on Amazon or one of the other online retailers. And if you have questions and you want to reach us, call 888-424-2626 or email us at info at thefreedommodel.org. Follow us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and subscribe to the Freedom Model YouTube channel. We also have three Facebook groups now available that we started, so you can discuss your experiences breaking free from addiction and perpetual recovery. They are the Freedom Model, Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery, and Families Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery. We're so encouraged to see more and more people on social media working to break out of the treatment and recovery trap. The leaving AA groups are growing rapidly and there's been a lot of questions on there about moderation and most specifically about moderating alcohol use. It's probably the most common topic. It really is. So that's what we're going to talk about today. I guess maybe we should first qualify the term moderate alcohol use. What does that mean? Oh, yeah. Oh. That's kind of a loaded thing, right? Yeah, yeah, that is. Well, there's no there's no uh, real definition for it. Um, I think it what it... That's why in the book we use the term adjusting your use a lot more than we use the term moderating. So um, I think it's any use that is less than what you were doing before, right? The the whole point of it is a personal journey of figuring out uh, less use. So adjusting down to some level that you're more comfortable with or that you've set a goal to attain. Um, I'm not sure there can be any standard. You know, it's like, who's an alcoholic? Well, that's such a made-up, nonsensical thing. Exactly. And it just causes a constant debate about who has a problem and who doesn't have a problem. I think it's a totally subjective, uh, you know, personal um, definition. Yeah, it is very personal. Um, For me, it meant, am I in control? Do I feel like I'm in control? That's a great, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if, if you, if you are drinking more than you think you want to drink, whether that's, I would only want to have two drinks three days a week, and then you find yourself having five drinks five days a week, then, then I would say for me, drinking more than I think I want would be problematic drinking. So I guess Maybe maybe what we're talking about is non-problematic drinking is more like moderation. Mm-hmm. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Steven's just smiling here, just listening. <laughs> no, like it it is very, it's very hard to define and to get into all of the issues of it. I think um, another way of looking at it is doing it. It's obviously if you have a substance use problem, it it means... You're looking back, whether that's on the day that you just lived right. or it's yesterday or you're looking back to last weekend and you're saying, God, I, 
drank so much or I used so much that I screwed up these things. I feel mm-hmm. bad about either I wasted time, I wasted money, or I pissed people off, I'm embarrassed. Oh, yeah. I caused problems. And if and if you're repeatedly now, by the way, everybody, almost everybody has experiences in life where they drink too much on an occasion. Correct. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Right? And they look back at it and it's embarrassing. But when we call that a problem, it's when you keep repeating it and you yeah. keep regretting it, you know? And so you're obviously, um, in overall context of your life, it's, you're not getting as much enjoyment. It is not complementing your life. It's not enhancing your life at that point. It's a detriment, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe the way to look at moderating is to use in a way that truly enhances your life. Oh, that's a good way to look at it, too. That's a good way. I I think that uh, the the two points that you guys brought up, one is a feeling of control and that you're meeting your goal, whatever that might be, and and what Steve just described. Um, Here's here's the the crazy part about this whole thing. The fact that we even have to talk about it is, is, uh, Mm -hmm. is sort of strange. It's, it, it, it's become normal, more normal for people to think that alcohol has power over the human psyche than it is to think that people can yeah. can just simply drink the way they want to. And the irony of it is every human that drinks, regardless of the level, is doing what they want to do. Mm-hmm. So there's an illusion problem, and that is that they perceive themselves as having no control, when in reality... Everybody has control, even when they're using heavily, because there isn't two people inside your mind. Right? There's not. There's two distinct psyches at work playing off of each other. That's that's crazy talk. But but you, I felt that way in the past. I felt like I had a little battle going on. I want to talk about that because people often talk about, you know, I have two people in my head. I'm I'm I. I'm battling it out, and and there's other modalities out there that really push this idea, you oh, know, yeah. of the of the lizard brain and the conscious brain, and all these things battling it out. And I can remember having a struggle with whether I was going to drink heavy or not, and and regret and all the things that Steve was talking about. Um, and that battle seemed very real because I was actually deliberating. You know, what we do is we confuse this idea of deliberating, of coming up with uh, an outcome that's difficult to make, you know. And sometimes making a decision that's hard to make is is tough, right? The question is, why is it tough? What are you deliberating? What are you working on? Um, and so when people tell me they have two, two psyches or they have a battle going on inside themselves, I say, well, it sounds like you're just having a hard time making a decision. That's pretty normal. Yeah. You know, if I had two cars that I really wanted, they all had the same features, and they all had, and both of them had similar colors, both of which I liked, that's a hard decision to make compared to if it was a beat-up old VW Bug next to a Rolls-Royce. It's not a very difficult choice to make. So when when you're working out an alcohol problem... That has a lot of benefits to you. You like it, but it's also got a lot of consequences that you don't like. And those things balance out like on a scale. And they're very Mm -hmm. similar in weight. And the scale is bouncing between the two. That's where deliberating, a hard deliberation happens. Um, 
people say, well, I look at the consequences, Mark, and, and, and then they're so great. Well, I say, well, I'm sure the benefits are better because you kept drinking. Right, <laughs> you know, and they don't want to say that. They don't. But I shouldn't like it. Yeah, I should. I, if it, yeah, I mean that. So that that's the battle that you have. You're like, right. but you do. But you do have like because there is certain things about it that you like, and and I I have an article that came out that talks about this. Like for me, um, the idea to go straight to moderation from my heavy use. Like, I didn't see any benefits, like, honest benefits to little use or occasional use. Um, For me, alcohol was so important in my life. I legitimately felt like I couldn't be happy without it. I had to take some time to prove to myself that I could. So did did you abstain and break that cycle because you wanted to abstain? Is that what happened? Initially, initially I did. Initially, I mean, it was, I'd like to say there was some cataclysmic event for me that made me stop, but there wasn't. It was that I was, I had gone through several months of feeling suicidal and isolated and just drinking from the moment I got up to the moment I went to bed. I had a... It's kind of cataclysmic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but there was not not like a... Right, an event. there There was an event that led to that kind of drinking, which was uh, a bad breakup and then a a botched intervention by my family um, that kind of set me on the track of six months of isolation and drinking heavily, Um, suicidal thoughts and all kinds of things. Um, But but what stopped me from drinking was I just got, I got tired of it. Like I, I got tired of being alone and, um, and I wanted, I wanted to do something different. Yeah. So, so you stopped, let's mm-hmm. keep going down this path. So you stopped, you made the decision to quit for good. Yep. And why, and, and what was that like? Why did you stick with it? Well, <laughs> well, I went to my father who had, was the one who had, I was raised in AA and, you know, told him that, I was miserable and that I had a drinking problem, even though, at, because I grew up in AA, so that's yeah. all I knew. Yeah. So I figured I couldn't stop on my own, even though, and it didn't occur to me because of that programming that I had already. I stopped, I went through three or four days of feeling really crappy physically. I went through withdrawal, so I was the real alcoholic, which we will talk about later. Because <laughs> there's a lot of these qualifications now out there about, you know, you can't moderate if you're a real alcoholic. So, so I ended up going to AA because my dad told me that that's what I should do. But he also confused me because he told me that, well, you're not an alcoholic. There's no such thing as that. Um, you really are okay. You can be okay. You're not compelled. Um, you're not compelled to use and, um, you've already stopped. So that's a good thing. Um, and, but I ended up doing AA for a while not really buying into the idea that I had a disease or I was powerless, but I stayed abstinent because even though I'm going to be honest with you, I had no cravings. The first three or four days that I was not drinking, I had no cravings, even going through withdrawal. I did not want to drink again. Um, and right, I didn't start. Cravings are of the mind. Oh, they're of the mind. I did not start having cravings. And I'm going to say they were cravings because that's what I define them as. Sure. Yeah. Until I was going to meetings listening to people what i call glamorize being drunk right talking about the struggle and how yeah, hard it is yeah and glamorize recovery and the struggle of recovery and 
all of that. And so I thought most about drinking just before a meeting, just after a meeting. When I was home alone, when I would get home and it was late night and I was home alone. And that's not because I drank at those times. I drank all day. Um, but it was because we had talked about it. And, and then I started really, what AA did for me was reinforce the idea that I was a bad person, that I was selfish, that I had all the, that I was, you know, sick and defective. And I had all, I was just shaming the deep shame, all of that. It reinforced all of that. So literally three months into sobriety, if you want to call it, I was suicidal again and feeling pretty awful. And, um, and I broke through that. I managed to break through that with the friends that I had, which Mark was one of them. And, um, and really realized that I could be okay and that my future could be great without alcohol. That's when I really started to think, all right, I'm going to figure out how to be happier without it. Okay. That's a huge point. So, so then, so you gave yourself the opportunity to abstain long enough to figure that out. Yes. And some of that was just grit. Yeah, it was. Right, right? The first three months was that because of AA. Right. So, so you're just kind of struggling along. It's that struggle model which eventually you would have succumbed to. But, uh, yeah. but then you came to a realization that that um, you were happier not doing it. Yes. And I think that that's where everybody that stops gets to, unless they want the struggle. Some people actually, that it, is true. They, they, they take the struggle into their life and then their identity goes from being an alcoholic or a drug addict to I am now a recovering, struggling person. And that becomes their sort of trophy, yeah. you know, and that yeah. becomes their identity. And... That's a that's a real rough place to be. That's the that's the five percent that stick it out in AA, become the old timers, and pass that cancer on. <laughs> you know, it's just a, a horrible <laughs> message. You know. Yeah, yeah, um, I can remember a couple uh, of those at the meeting. <laughs> I remember you, this this old guy Bob, you know, old timer Bob, and and he was he. Your your first or second meeting, and he oh, was, he was so dramatic. He was so dramatic, and just how awful it really was right he was like i i he this is how he started the meeting he was like the chairperson of the meeting or whatever he goes like i'm five years sober he grabs his freaking coffee cup and he's like and i'm this far from a drink that's what he said and i'm like <laughs> oh hell no i'm out of here yeah yeah it was it was brutal it was brutal so even with all that you stuck it out and, I did. Uh, I was committed. <laughs> all right. So, so I'll tell my story, then Steve can tell his, because we all ended up moderating. Yes, we okay? did in the end. So I'm priming the audience for the big reveal. Um, <laughs> so, so I, uh, I had similar past, as people know from the podcast, where I grew up in AA, was around therapy my whole life, and then at 19, I, I, I needed an excuse to move on with my life. Yeah, I did not like drinking anymore. I genuinely was at a spot where drinking was what I call the hot, hazy sickness. I, I would have to drink a tremendous amount. I can remember I'd have to drink so much to get drunk that I would stick my fingers down my throat, go in the bathroom and throw it up and then go drink more like another half mm. bottle. Yeah, I mean, it was brutal. I had such high tolerance. So I wasn't having fun. Like, <laughs> that is not fun. <laughs> and, and a bad point. Yeah, and, and then... And then I got in the car accident and it gave me an excuse to leave my hometown. And for me, my personal journey was alcohol and the consumption of it for me was related to this awful place I was in in my hometown where I never felt I would escape. 
right. and I felt like I'm trapped. I was trapped with the drinking, and but I was even more trapped with um, living in this tiny town and never escaping my past, which was riddled with all kinds of embarrassing events and growing up hard. So for me, getting in the car accident, most people would have been horrified by it, you know, um, being arrested in the whole nine yards. But for me, it was, I felt free. Yeah. And I could stop drinking, and I wanted to stop drinking. And that's when I talk to people. They don't really want to stop drinking. I know. And so then we have to get to, you know, what do you like about it? And that's a whole different discussion we'll get into in a little while. So when I stopped, I was abstinent for 20 years because I literally left my hometown and just rebuilt my life. I was yeah. so excited about that. Now, there's a whole other treatment side to this that I'm skipping. But, but uh, so when I moderated... Well, I'm not going to get into that yet. Go ahead, Steve. Tell me. We're just talking about our abstinence. Yeah, just, abstinence. The, just the abstinence story. Yeah. And so, Michelle, you were 20 years abstinence. 20 years abstinent. Well, and, yeah, just all, just under 20. Like, yeah. I was and Mark, 22. You're about 22. Yeah. And I was about four and a half years yep. abstinent. Yep. Um, I try to pin down the date in my mind. I try to remember back because it... I hadn't been counting that. Yeah. I hadn't been counting time or anything, right. but I kind of know when I stopped and when I when I had a drink again yeah. at some point. But I had a massive heroin and cocaine and really any drug problem, including alcohol, but which kind of was at the bottom of the list, the hierarchy. You were a poly abuser. <laughs> <laughs> I was a garbage head man. <laughs> Yeah. Junkie, <laughs> you know, and the, a clinician would say you're a poly abuser, <laughs> yeah. and they'd say it like that, poly abuser. I have cross addiction. Yes, you have that's cross right. addiction. That's right. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> speedballing. I mean, that was what I like. Um, but, but so, yeah, I, I struggled in treatment for many years, for five years, right? And did you see I put up the the link to the place where I... Yeah, yeah. Did you I read watch, it? Yeah, I watched it. Yeah, yeah. Cra- it's all crazy talk. I mean, They're crazy. it was started... The place, the rehab I went to was started in 1939 <laughs> yeah. with Bill Wilson and Marty right. Mann. Yeah, That's and Abby right. Thatcher, it was that whole... The, yeah, it was yeah. that whole crowd. Yeah. So I got indoctrinated into 12 steps and, and, you know, and so every time I was trying to quit over that five years, it was abstinence and every time I was just dying to use the whole time yeah. and just holding it back so I wouldn't go to jail. Yeah. You know, but I but I came up here and went to the retreat. Yeah, you know. so what changed? What happened? Yeah. So what changed is, you know, I, I've said it many times. I had that conversation with claims. First of all, things were very simplified here. Like, hey, you don't have a disease. You're just using because you think you need it to be happy. And if you try, you can probably be happier without it. You know, like that yeah, was really the simple. message in a yeah. nutshell. Yeah. Yes. And you don't, you're not, you, you guys used to say back then you can be recovered. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of recovering. And um, that <laughs> really was big because it meant you're not doomed for the rest of your life. You don't have to work on this for the rest of your life. You can be done and over with it quickly. Right. So all of that messaging, the conversation with Clayton where he said, why don't you take a year to see if you can be happier without drugs. If if not, then you can go back to them with no shame and just say, this, I, I've given it a shot and I know right. I need the drugs. And so, so before you go any further, so you were, you, you were willing to give yourself that window of opportunity? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, right. 
nobody had ever presented it that way. Like, because he said, you know, and if you do find out that you're happier, great, stick with it. And it was all about my happiness. It was not people breathing down my neck saying, you have to quit or you're going to die. And it wasn't about me breathing down my own neck. Right. About you're an awful person, you know, and you need to stop. You know, it was none of that. It was, hey, why don't you see what, which of these options makes you happier? Yeah. Which was completely novel approach uh, to me, for sure. Nobody had said anything near that. Um, it was just pretty much life without drugs is going to be a life of deprivation and yep. struggle to avoid going back to what you now know to be the best thing on earth, heroin. Right. You know, being wrapped in a warm blanket and all that shit. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. That shit, too. Yeah. And so... Um, so I decided to do at least one year of abstinence to answer that question. And I did end up enjoying it. And I did end up keeping it up for four and a half years. I didn't struggle. I used a couple times right off the bat, like twice. But, you know, then it was, just, you know, that's not what I want. I'm, I, I like what I'm trying out here. And so, so it ended up being a good, a good four and a half years uh, there. And should I go into... The abstinence, I mean the moderation now. Yeah. yeah. So, and then the, the moderation, it wasn't planned or anything. As you know, I was trying to write my own book about addiction. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was in the library uh, constantly downloading research, you know, for medical journals and all that kind of stuff. Academic journals, I was learning everything I could, reading all the books I could, um, because I was trying to write a book, but in I was learning that really everything that I thought about addiction was untrue. You guys yes. had undone a lot of that for me. Right, we did I, the basics. You did the basics, but I learned a lot more. And, you know, one thing being, you know, that, hey, actually a lot of people really do moderate, you know, that that big, one of the big NISARC studies had just come out while I was studying this. And and I was learning all that. 50% of, alco- you know, alcoholics become moderate drinkers. All that stuff was in, you know, it's just... I was so far detached. I was. I had moved to New York. I had no recovery circle. Yeah. I didn't have a recovery right. community. No Ooh, support. That, that's, I was just unhinged on my own, living my life. You know, I was. I was in the theater. I started doing theater. I was going to school. So you had um, moved on. I had moved on, and I enjoyed myself. I always say this: one of the best things I ever did is I went to a bunch of raves when I was a year sober without taking yep. any drugs. Yeah. Just danced and down in Miami and South Beach, made friends. I socialized more than ever sober than when I had was there taking all the drugs in the raves, you yep. know? And so I just I didn't there was no inkling that I needed drugs for anything right. in my life whatsoever. And I was at a wedding and this was not premeditated, but they were serving peach bellinis or yeah, peach bellinis and delicious. And I was like, well, that looks good. I'll have one of those. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty much it. And I had one at a wedding and, and it nothing, was fun. Nothing and cataclysmic. No, that. I did not run up to, you know, Harlem to buy heroin. <laughs> no, right? no, no, I, I did not, you know, and, and, but, and I didn't think that it would, you know, I had no fear and I had no I had no fear. I had no longing for substances All right, either. Now I want to jump in there. Yeah. Because that, that's, that's... That's a big thing. That meant we did a good job the, with yeah, him. <laughs> yeah. That's the crucial point. That's the crucial point. So many people want to moderate, but they don't give themselves the opportunity to change their perspective first. Yeah. They hold on to mythology, 
which the freedom model will take care of, right? But but they don't even know they're living in myths. They don't yeah. even know that. Yeah. And they wonder why they struggle. Now, we're not going to get into all the myths today. There's a ton of other right. podcasts right. talking about different topics such as this. But you gotta you got to get rid of the mythology of disease and and uh, that this is some sort of disorder and that sort of nonsense. you got to get rid of that first. Um, and for us in this room, the abstinence gave us the opportunity to understand that, right. the, the mythology, and get rid of it. It gave us the, the time and the resources to say, you know, what am I like not hammered all the time? I didn't even know that. I started getting drunk every single weekend and then every day from the age of 12. So how was I to know that my life could actually be better? So I think that what you described, Steve, was moving on. When people move on, they're no longer looking behind them. They're looking forward. And so this idea of forward looking towards a happier existence, it naturally makes alcohol and drugs get smaller and smaller in the context of a bigger life. But you're not creating the bigger life to escape drugs and alcohol. You're simply moving on. Right. And, and I think only having, having a window of abstinence for those that struggle with moderation, if you struggle with it, give yourself the opportunity to figure out who you are without it. Can you be happier without it first? Yep. And then you get to a spot where it's... Drinking or not drinking casually becomes really inconsequential it's to your totally. happiness. It's just maybe it's a little add-on once in a while to this. It's a treat. Yeah. yeah, it's a treat. It's like been... when you're at Rain Dancer and they ask you, you know, do you want dessert and coffee? <laughs> yeah, and right. Some, and then you say, I have a thirty-ounce steak in front of me, so probably not. Like I was last night, <laughs> right? But sometimes it does make sense to have the dessert and coffee. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. It's funny because my my experience uh, after 20 years of abstinence was also at a wedding, but it was planned. I had planned on drinking at some point, and I, knowing everything I knew, doing all the research I'd done, helping people for all these years, and I had seen really heavy drinkers, if you want to call them real alcoholics, you know, that's, that's how... People define them, the people that have, they develop alcohol dependence and have that kind of alcohol use history. Um, I'd seen people moderate. So I knew intellectually they could, um, beyond the shadow of a doubt. But what happened was, is when I really got down to it and I was like, I am going to drink this champagne, which I love. I love champagne. And you don't get to have it very often. So I'm like, here's champagne in front of me at a wedding. <coughs> I'm going to drink it. And and I remember looking at my husband and saying, I'm going to drink this. And he's like, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, uh, whatever you've been talking about drinking for a while. So what is your problem? Just do it. And um, But there was still some anxiety. There was a like a weird thing. Like, like when you're a teenager smoking a cigarette. You know, like, like sneaking it behind your parents back or something. Like I felt like I was doing something that I shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you had a very long history in AA. I did. Mine was short lived. It was. That's one thing. Yeah. And, um, and I had the benefit of the way you guys set me up to quit. Yeah. Right. Which, which was not based on fear. That's right. You know, and, yeah. and, and not, it was not based or on... Or moral you, judgment Yeah, it was not based behavior. on you have to quit. 
It was like, hey, what is going to make you happier? Right. And yours was based in, you had a very bad, I guess, rock bottom moment or something. What do you think? <laughs> what do you want? No, but you had a bit, you, you were in a deep, dark situation. You were probably very scared and you knew you wanted better. It was the mixture of that. And then you the go mixture. into, and yeah. you go into AA and they, they, Pete, they reinforce the fear. the fear. They reinforce that that nothing good can come from right. drinking. We we crawled out of the AA cesspool. Yeah, I mean we had to crawl out of that and figure this out on our own. So it. I remember when I quit. It was in a. It was actually at a corporate offsite that I was running for the company, and I was in the hotel. And I. You want to talk about feeling like, you know, secretive? And I had one. <laughs> was of those, I there? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and they had those little bottles in the in the refrigerator, right? Or and you're like, I'm gonna and, have one. And I had black velvet. I remember, and I remember thinking, Is that a whiskey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember thinking, God, this tastes like perfume. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so gross. And I used to pound it by the bottle. Okay, and I uh-huh. thought, And you're like, This is not the way I remember. Yeah, it, <laughs> it wasn't at all. Now, what's ironic is the smell is attached to memory. So I instantly yes. was brought back. To when I was 18 and 17, 16, you know, and I was just hammering this stuff. And I thought, this is so utterly anticlimactic. It means yes. nothing. And I don't even think I finished it. I think I just, oh, I, I didn't. I didn't. I bottled it back up. I screwed the cap on and I put it back inside so I wouldn't get charged. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm such a cheap bastard. <laughs> so, so I, uh. That was my experience. And then I was like, I just don't care about this anymore. And it was so shocking to me yeah, that it was this big thing. And that's what I want to point out. If you're thinking about moderating, if it's a big event, you probably shouldn't do it. You know, right. wait till you, you get to a spot where I'm when it wasn't a big event when I drank, when I made the decision to drink it in the hotel, it was like, Oh, it's there. I'm going to try this. Yeah, yeah. And, and I was waiting for some big so, thing but to happen. What I'm hearing in both of you guys is there can be some fear there. There was, there was, was some fear, it was, but it wasn't like... It's it was, more like habitual. It was like, I just wanted to know if there was going to be something. Like some, if something was going to happen. happen. There was going to be like yeah. a life. Yes. There's like that vest- somebody the struck drunk. Loss of control. Yeah. The phenomenon of craving, as yeah. Bill Wilson so yeah. aptly put I had, it. Yeah. I had one... I had that one, I finished the glass of champagne that we had, and that was it for that night. And I don't think I had another drink for six months or more. Yeah. Like, it just, and I was, and this, next time I had a drink, I had started studying wines and stuff because I didn't really know right. anything about alcohol. I mean, I the only <laughs> it was a Jack Daniels drinker <laughs> when I was young, and that was pretty much all I drank. And then, so I thought, well, I'll I'll learn about wines. And so... The next time I drank, I had a glass of wine at a restaurant. We were out to eat, and it was wonderful. And um, but it's but for me, it's a, it it alcohol went from being everything to me, everything to being zero. Yeah, to, to yeah. like to an the, add-on, an, an inconsequential add-on. Yeah, that that uh, sort of is is a good part of your life. Yeah, yeah. I I yeah. literally learned in my time absent, I learned that I could do. Anything and everything I wanted without alcohol, I learned that I could, you know, my heart could be broken. I could suffer loss. I could 
suffer a trauma. I could... That's a good point. You know, I could celebrate. I could be happy and celebrate and have a wonderful time in a room full of people drinking and still and have a great time not drinking. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, I had a, a ton of experiences without yeah. drinking. And being sober was not like the focal point of those experiences. It right. just was yeah. inconsequential. Yeah. 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 I would never change my time abstinent for anything. No. Nope. That was a great time. And in that time of my life, because of the contrast that it was to where yes. I had previously been, yeah, that's it huge. was amazing. Yeah. And I didn't have the drink because I was miserable. Right. Why because I was stressed out it wasn't or a needed tool. it. It, it wasn't was. a tool. It was one thing that was going to add a little bit of spice to a day, essentially. Right. Yeah. yeah, and um, I and it's it doesn't sound like any of you have, you guys haven't done this either. I have not put any limits whatsoever on my drinking. I have not been in my head about nope. it at all. It has been since uh, it has been almost thirteen years. Mm-hmm. I think that I've been a moderate drinker. Yeah, it's and been, it's been time um, for me. I have I. There was never, I never set down any rules. I've used it to the degree that it has enhanced things, I guess. And the hardest thing to explain to people, you know, and I had, I had Skype classes with someone last year that, that I think he felt like I was baiting and switching because he was like, oh, this is the moderation program, right? And it's like, Mm -hmm. no, it's the program where we're going to tell you the truth that you can moderate correct we're not going to teach you how to do that it's about what do you want what do you really want right and i have no perfect recipe to get one person from being completely romanced and obsessed with a drug to getting to the spot that you talk about where it's absolutely nothing to you and it's meaningless i have no recipe for that the best i can say is First of all, let's debunk these myths about substances that you need them for X, Y, and Z. You don't freaking need them, right? And let's really debunk that. And then, you know, you figure out what you want and what's, what, what do you think is going to, where is it going to add to your life? And if you try that and yet you still find yourself obsessing too much, right? right. Then, you know, you try the abstinence thing for a while to really break in action all of those myths where you need it to have fun or you need i you know i want to talk about that i'm going to interject here because if you don't get rid of the myth that you need it or that it's that alcohol or drugs are a problem solving agent okay that they that they aid in um getting escaping escaping getting rid of depression uh taking care of anxiety um, making it so you have liquid courage, that you're more sexual, that you're less sexual, that you're more social, that you're less social. All, all the various ways that we attribute human-like qualities and powers to a substance. If you don't get rid of that, you will always desire it because you will think it actually contains those properties. It will always be a, a medicine of some kind for human living, which by its nature is hard to deal with. We're all Mm -hmm. struggling um, at one point or another. So if you don't get rid of all that mythology first, you will always struggle to moderate. You won't moderate because you'll want it 
desperately because it has these qualities that you believe in. So that's when you need to read the freedom model from beginning to end before you make any any decision one way or the other because you need to understand what the myths are. Most people yeah. don't even realize they're living with and mythology. And so here's what so you're talking about is reducing that romance or yes. your yeah. attraction to it. Yes. The attraction is in our own minds. It's beauty is in the eye of the beholder, Absolutely. right? So we can reduce that. But what people come asking for is show me how to regain control. Right. right. Or show me how to suppress my, my desire. desire. Right. right? How, you know, and let me distract myself from the my thought want. of drinking yeah. or place some rules and some tips and tricks and techniques in there. And it really isn't about that. It's about it's not break, that at all. It's about breaking the romance, which is a very personal thing. And we can give you like that debunking and stuff to all help with that. And some people are just going to say, you know what, I'm going to, I know that like three drinks is a good amount for me and they're going to immediately implement that. Yeah. And they're going to be like, oh yeah, it does fucking work. Three drinks once in a while. Yep. When I'm celebrating or whatever, that's going to be some people. Yep. And some people are going to try to do that and go they find the themselves going over and they go off the rails. And so the romance is still there and, and you can't some... You know, sometimes, like I brought up recently, sometimes what is lying underneath is I just want to pass the time. I don't want to do anything else other than drink. And then you wonder what, you know, and you, you're an individual and you got to figure out what that is. And sometimes it's like, make the clean break and abstain and you're going to clear out whatever those things are that's, if you can't necessarily consciously define them. That's, that's what's important. Michelle and I and you... We're, we had the mythology drilled into us and we needed to give ourselves a window of opportunity to sort out what was real and what isn't. Yes. And this idea that alcohol, in my case, was literally my lifeblood, was so deep with me that, and I was so entirely sick of it at the same time. So I'm in yeah. that terrible deliberation place that where did the scale tip was when I had an excuse to get away. Yeah. I just needed a break. And I knew that. In the back of my mind, I was yeah. like, I can probably make a new life for myself if I can split off of this. So I waited till you know, I got arrested and all this chaos happened in my life. And I skirt out into the world. And I said, I'm going to be this new person. I didn't talk to my old friends. It wasn't like I was running away from people, places, and things. I consciously made a decision to give myself a window of opportunity to sort out this whole disease thing that I knew was bullshit. See, I knew it deep down inside. I this wasn't jiving. It wasn't jiving, but why did I keep doing it? Well, why not give myself this opportunity and start to do research, which actually is the beginning of the freedom model, right? Coincides yeah. with me making this decision. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then it collected a whole group of people that thought the same way, and we, we debunked all this crap. So if you're caught in that recovery trap where you're, you're in purgatory, uh, you don't need to be there. You really, you can debunk the stuff that's keeping you trapped and then make a clear decision on which level of drinking you want to do. Now, most of the time I abstain. I, I very rarely drink, but, but uh, people ask me and I want to, I want to hit this. Do you ever get drunk, Mark? <laughs> like, do you ever get hammered? And yeah. 
I do. Every once in a while. Every once in a while. But I'm at an age where it just kind of kicks my ass. So I, I don't do it very often. But usually on New Year's, I, I imbibe a little too far. And uh, on my birthday occasionally when, when they throw me a party and my family's together. Um, and I give myself that because it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. You know, in those circumstances, it's fun. But actually, I haven't done it in a few years because it just makes me too sick. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it. Yeah, know? yeah. Well, here's the thing. Every once in a while, I will drink enough to get happy, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Happier, so to speak. Um, but but for me, too, it's just not It's not something I like. And it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. And... Um, yeah, it's it's just I, I don't I don't set rules for myself, but I also don't like like if I'm having a hard day, I am not somebody that goes home and oh I need a drink. I'm not that person. Right. I know it can't help me. That's right. You, you know, you don't give it problem solving capabilities. I don't. It and and exactly. but I don't necessarily avoid it. If I'm having a rough day and we and my husband's like let's go out to dinner, I'll be like oh good. If I'm going out to dinner, I'm having a glass of wine. I mean that's yeah. just yeah. what I do. So so it's 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 nothing. Yeah, it's that's still right. nothing. And yes, yeah, and everybody should take away from this. We're not talking about control, and I know I just said we're not yes. exactly. That is really important. You, if you set out to have, if you say, you know, consciously think I'm going to have two drinks, you have ten drinks. You wanted ten drinks. You did. You right. you you changed your mind along the way, if that's what it is, or you know, you just liked the idea of two drinks or something, but. You wanted the 10. It's not that you lost control and right. someone else animated your body and make you drink those drinks. Right. Or or some other, like you said, some other psyche took over. Right. It's yeah. not that. You're doing what you want. And it's not that you need to control some being or entity inside you pushing you to drink. It's that you need to figure out how to enjoy less of it in some yeah. way and there's so many pathways to that um and it, it's a very personal journey but it's not about control it's about uh choices. desire choices about finding happiness in a uh, in some different mode of drinking you, you know yeah. like yeah yeah so so to clarify something i said earlier there's no such thing as a real alcoholic yes that's and correct. and the reason that i bring that up is because there are people that say they don't subscribe to the disease modality they don't they don't subscribe to believing that there's a loss of control and then in the same breath will say some people can moderate and some people can't yeah. and that you can't yeah. have it both ways that's right if if you're a believer that some people can moderate and some people can't again you have to read the freedom model yeah. and i'm not peddling a book here i'm just telling you we wrote it down for you yeah. we were there at one point in our lives and you can be free of all of this and it'll make a hell of a lot more sense to you after you read it yeah and and keep in mind that knowing you can moderate is not the same thing as truly wanting to drink less it is not the same thing i intellectually you know people a lot of people intellectually that i work with say they know what we're saying is true and then they'll tell me that i wanted to have two drinks and i had 10 yeah yeah you know um that means you wanted 10 just like just like steven <laughs> said yeah. Yeah, we don't do things we don't want to do. No, no. So I think we'll end with that. And we're coming up on 45 minutes. Um, thank you so much for listening today. If you or someone you know is seeking help for a substance use problem, or you want help in breaking free and moving past recovery as well, you can reach us at 888-424-2626 
or through our websites at thefreedommodel.org and soberforever.net, or you can find us in our Facebook groups, which are The Freedom Model, Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery, and Families Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery. And there are also a growing number of leading AA groups that can be very helpful as you break free from the various 12-step cults that are out there. And from everyone here at the St. Jude Retreat and The Freedom Model, we wish you well.